When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is an iHeartRadio podcast. The Soundtrack Show will begin in five, four, three. With Superman, John Williams manages to do the seemingly impossible balance heroic fanfares, science fiction, and nostalgic Americana, all in the style of a three-act Wagnerian opera. This is The Soundtrack Show. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and this episode is our first look at Superman the Movie, a film from 1978 by Warner Brothers Pictures, produced by Ilya and Alexander Salkind, written by Mario Puzo of The Godfather fame, although it was really written by a small army of writers, including Tom Mankiewicz of James Bond fame, rewriting as the movie went along, starring Marlon Brando, who was incredibly famous at the time, as well as Gene Hackman, and featuring show-stealing performances by relative unknowns like Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, as well as a near-perfect, flawless performance by a mid-twenties Christopher Reeve as Superman himself. The movie was directed by Richard Donner, with a film score by Jerry Goldsmith. Wait, 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 oh wait, <laughs> wait, uh, oh no. Oh, we're running behind schedule. Oh, Jerry Goldsmith's not available anymore? Uh, what are we gonna do, call John Williams? Call John Williams, yeah, call him! Great, you landed John Williams? Okay, good, let's try this again. With a film score by John Williams. Just a little over a year after Williams' score for Star Wars changed the movie and film scoring landscape completely, Williams proved once again with Superman that he has an uncanny ability to synthesize a film's material and provide a cohesive score that not only ties everything together thematically, not only aids in storytelling, plot, and pacing, but has a language of its own. 
the language of 19th century romantic opera composers such as Richard Wagner or Giuseppe Verdi, combined with William's command of 20th century harmony and orchestration techniques. With Superman, Williams is now on a roll, and movies have now solidly moved into the beginning of the blockbuster era, the musical identity of which is almost single-handedly created and shaped by Williams, with Jaws in 1975, Star Wars in 77, and now Superman in 1978. The movie when it debuted was the biggest hit that Warner Brothers had ever had. It grossed over $300 million worldwide at the box office and broke the U.S. record at the time for best box office during the week of Christmas. It was the second biggest movie in 1978, behind the musical Grease, and went on to spawn multiple sequels, including Superman 2, which was shot mostly at the same time as the original. But most importantly, Superman the movie gave us one of John Williams' most iconic and important scores in terms of neoclassical style and leitmotif-driven film scoring. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. While it is forbidden, as Jor-El says, to interfere with human history, we owe it to ourselves to at least go back and examine the concept and development of this film, as well as the origin and history of Superman himself. All of these details very much have an audible impact on the final film score. And after our examination, we can then fly through some of the film's main musical themes. Let's rewind a few years. USA, 1929. The stock market crash and other factors led to what is known as the Great Depression, a time of tremendous hardship and economic woes for the U.S. and the whole world for roughly a decade. Unemployment in the U.S. skyrocketed and peaked at almost 25% by 1933. Families barely scraped by. Children and adults alike went hungry. Breadlines gave out free food in countless American cities and were often overwhelmed by the demand. Millions were out of a job, and the climb back to economic prosperity was slow and marked with setbacks. It wasn't until the outbreak of World War II and the U.S.'s involvement after Pearl Harbor that the economy slowly recovered. During the Great Depression, two teenagers named Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster started peddling their short stories to various magazines in order to escape their Depression-era poverty. In 1933, having had little luck with publishing, they decided to publish their own science fiction magazine, which included a short story they wrote called The Reign of Superman, about a ragged vagrant pulled off of a breadline for participation in an experiment that turns him into a supervillain, or Superman, with telepathic powers. Now, while the character would go through massive changes, obviously, the name Superman derived from the German word Übermensch from Friedrich Nietzsche's 1883 novel Also Sprach Zarathustra, which, by the way, will have a coincidental but very real connection to the film score. More on that later. Anyway, the name Superman would survive, reincarnated as a superhero, and finally appearing in Action Comics in 1938. He also had a disguise as a mild-mannered gentleman named Clark Kent, who worked as a reporter in order to get the scoop on crime a powerful, indestructible symbol of hope, 
something that was sorely needed during the low morale of the Great Depression. The Man of Steel, Superman, would soon take the comic, radio, movie, and TV worlds by storm and become the best-selling superhero comic character in America, an honor it held all the way until the 1980s. Superman was the very first of the costumed comic characters, creating the standard archetype by which all other costumed superheroes would be judged. After debuting in 1938 in comics, it wasn't long until Superman jumped off the inked page and into other mediums, such as a radio show three times a week in 1940. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! And now, Superman. A being no larger than an ordinary man, but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on Earth. Able to leap into the air an eighth of a mile at a single bound. Hurdle a 20-story building with ease. Race a high-powered bullet to its target. Lift tremendous weights and rend solid steel in his bare hands as though it were paper. Superman. A strange visitor from a distant planet. Champion of the oppressed. Physical marvel extraordinary who has sworn to devote his existence on Earth to helping those in need. Then, on to the silver screen. Initially, as an extremely high-quality short-form cartoon from Max and Dave Fleischer called Superman. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! As a side note, by the way, it's important for us to understand that as a movie-going audience in the 1930s and 40s, you were treated to more than just the main feature. You would get coming attractions, as we do now, yes, but you would also get newsreels, comedy sketches, short stories, and often a cartoon, such as Looney Tunes, Mickey Mouse, or Superman. It was for this purpose that the Fleischer short-form animation Superman was created. In the endless reaches of the universe, there once existed a planet known as Krypton, a planet that burned like a green star in the distant heavens. There, civilization was far advanced and had brought forth a race of supermen whose mental and physical powers were developed to the absolute peak of human perfection. But there came a day when giant quakes threatened to destroy Krypton forever. One of the planet's leading scientists, sensing the approach of doom, placed his infant son in a small rocket ship and sent it hurtling in the direction of the Earth just as Krypton exploded. This cartoon series is especially important for the image of Superman because it continued production through the beginning of World War II and saw Superman go from fighting mad scientists and robots to America's real-world enemies at the time, the Nazis or the Japanese in the Pacific. This helped further solidify Superman as an American icon, as important a piece of American culture as baseball and apple pie. By the way, listen to the musical treatment of Superman in these clips as we go along here. You may or may not hear some similarities to Williams' work once we get to it. 
Another incarnation of Superman appeared on the silver screen in 1948 as a 15-part live-action black-and-white serial. Uh, yes, Mr. Secretary, a concrete blockhouse has been built in a western desert, miles from any habitation. I'd like you to see that test, Superman. The location is here. Hmm. That's about 2,000 miles away. I can be there in 30 seconds. Eventually, Superman made its way into television in 1952 with the long-running and hugely popular series Adventures of Superman, sponsored by Kellogg's and starring George Reeves as the Man of Steel himself. The show was on the air for six seasons, and until Superman the movie came around, was considered to be the greatest incarnation of Superman on the big or small screen. than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. And check out these cereal commercials. Glad you stopped by for breakfast, Jimmy. Oh, excuse me a moment, will you? Hey, Mr. Kent, you're out of Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Look at the cover. There's a spare package. You mean there was a spare package? Well, how about running down the store and picking up another one? Jeepers, we've got to get to the office. There's no time. Who do you think I am? Superman? Uh, no. No, I don't think that. Out of Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Fine host he is. Even if Superman did deliver Kellogg's Corn Flakes, he'd have a tough time keeping everybody happy. More people run out of them every morning than any other cereal. Because Kellogg's Corn Flakes taste best to more people. Always have, still do. Don't run out at your house. Remember, any time you buy cereal of any kind, pick up a spare package of Kellogg's Corn Flakes. By the time Superman the movie came around in 1978, Superman had been in the public eye as an American icon for over 40 years. High time for the Man of Steel to get the iconic music he so richly deserved. And now for a brief intermission. We return now to the Soundtrack Show. With over 40 years of history to draw from, Superman the movie covers a lot of ground. From the origin story on the planet Krypton with baby Kal-El and his parents, Jor-El and Lara, the destruction of the planet and the setup of a sequel, a journey to Earth, growing up in Smallville, Kansas, and then finally landing in Metropolis, and it also covers Clark Kent and the Daily Planet, a love story with Lois Lane, and even the introduction of a supervillain Lex Luthor, all in one movie. So, that movie is really broken up into three parts, not just story-wise, but also stylistically. It opens with a 70s sci-fi Shakespearean drama with quite a serious tone, then moves to an all-American coming-of-age story that feels like a Norman Rockwell painting in Smallville, Kansas, and then finally becomes a full-on comic book once we do get to Metropolis. When considering the music, it's important to take note of this. 
because it truly is the blending of these three elements that can be heard in the score of Superman, as we will soon point out. Indeed, even in Superman's main fanfare and marches, this blend is audible and important to its development. Now, at this point in our show, the expected thing to do would be to just jump straight into his fanfares and march, the Superman main themes, and most likely compare it to his mega-hit main theme from Star Wars, which we will do in good time. But we're not going to do any of that just yet. Instead, we need to look at what happens just after the movie's opening credits, just after we get that big march and fanfare, as we approach the planet Krypton. Or as Marlon Brando says, Krypton and listen to the music as we approach the planet. It's not the first leitmotif we hear in Superman the movie, but it is the beginning of our whole story. Before I start playing John Williams' music, I want to start with a behind-the-scenes story or two, as well as a few quotes, just to set our scene for our composer as he began his work. As I joked at the top of the episode, the composer that was originally going to score Superman the movie was Jerry Goldsmith. He had just worked with director Richard Donner on The Omen from 1976, a wonderful score that won Goldsmith his only Oscar throughout his legendary career. But the schedule of Superman kept slipping as the movie went farther and farther over budget. As a result, John Williams was approached to do the score. Let's keep in mind that Superman was in production before Star Wars had even been released. Yet when Williams was approached, it was after Star Wars had become a bona fide hit. He signed on to do Superman in August of 1977, and I'm sure expectations were high after his blockbuster success. He had several meetings at Pinewood Studios with the creatives and producers where the movie was being shot. During these meetings, he was given several creative notes about the musical direction that the team wanted him to take. One of them was from Tom Mankiewicz. Quote, In early March, this is March of 1978, John Williams screened a rough cut of Superman at Pinewood. Creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz recalls, We had lunch afterwards, and we were walking out of the commissary. He said, Tom, what do you hear as the main title for this movie? And I said, This picture opens around Christmas, and the Super Bowl is in January. I hear John Williams' theme from Superman playing at halftime. End quote. He wants to hear it like it's going to play in the Super Bowl. Huh. Okay, there's one creative direction. Big and epic and heroic and brassy and fun. Check. Probably just like the music that had preceded in other permutations of Superman, the cartoons, the TV show. But here's another piece of creative direction. And this one came straight from the Money Man. Here's a quote from the 40th anniversary La La Land Records Superman release, as well as from the Film Score Monthly box set about a decade before, from Mike Mattesino. Quote, Executive producer Ilya Salkind credits Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey as the movie that compelled him to commit to a producing career. The only thing I asked John Williams to do musically was to make the Krypton opening sound like 2001, Salkind recounts. I felt that would give the planet a sense of an ascended society that the audience would make a connection with, maybe subconsciously. So that's why it's a bit like Richard Strauss's Also Sprach Zarathustra. Ah, there it is. A kind of more developed version of that. End quote. Now, there is a third direction in terms of uh, them wanting to incorporate a song, but we're going to get to that in the next episode. Right now, I really want to touch on these two ideas that we have here. This kind of heroic fanfare, but then this, this note from the Salkinds, the producers themselves, 
about 2001, A Space Odyssey. This is where I really want to start diving into Williams' music. First of all, 2001, A Space Odyssey, came out in 1968. This movie was released 10 years later, and by this time, everyone in Hollywood knew the story that I'm about to tell you now. Director Stanley Kubrick, while making 2001, A Space Odyssey, hired legendary composer Alex North to write the score for it. He'd worked with North on both Spartacus, as well as Dr. Strangelove, and Alex North wrote and produced an entire score for 2001. Well, as you may or may not know, that score was left on the cutting room floor. Legend has it that North didn't even know that his score was unused until the film premiered without it. The movie instead features classical temp music that was initially North's guide from Kubrick, who opted to use his temp rather than North's score. Ooh, ouch. And like Williams, North was asked to write a Zarathustra-inspired piece for 2001, but Kubrick made Zarathustra by Strauss almost synonymous with his movie by using that instead, as well as the Blue Danube by the other Strauss, Johann Strauss. The point? Well, if the executive producer who hired you to score his movie asks you for 2001 or for Zarathustra, you give it to him lest you want to end up like poor Alex North, who, just like John Williams, was a very successful and well-respected composer when his music for 2001 was rejected. Oh, that's a crazy story. We could do a whole podcast about that. But back to Superman. I think we will find that Williams' leitmotif, that's right, Superman is a leitmotif-driven blockbuster film score. I think we're going to find that his leitmotif for Krypton really honors this note that he was given from the Salkinds while augmenting it into his own language, something that Williams is a master at. So we're going to examine how this note leads to the main Superman fanfare in March, but first, let's take a listen to the beginning of Also Sprach Zarathustra, which was used in 2001 by Richard Strauss. This should be a familiar piece to all of you, and we've played it on the show before. A very, very famous piece of music. In my soundtrack show episode titled, What is Music? No, seriously, what is it? I discussed the intervals that you hear in this piece at great length. They are the pillars of Western music. That is, the fundamental root, and the fifth, and the octave. They are also the pillars of acoustic science. 
the first few notes in the Overtone series and are mathematically fundamental to our natural world in terms of how we perceive sound and, of course, music. For more on this subject, please check out that episode. But the takeaway here is that these notes are strong. They are consonant. They are slightly neutral. And they are epic. Williams knows this, and he creates his own marvelous piece of music in the spirit of Zarathustra. Let's take a listen to the planet Krypton. It starts slowly, then builds into a slow crescendo. Ah, some major key heroic melodies here. Lots of brass, which will later connect us to the main theme. the big finish. Notice the use of what is called a ninth here. Now, if you have the fundamental here, here is the ninth. Not to get too deep into the overtone series, but this note uh, right here, the fifth, this is the second overtone of any note in nature. So if your main note is here, this is your next overtone. Listen to how that rings in your head. Well, this ninth is the second overtone of the fifth. You get what is known as stacked fifths, or a circle of fifths. Which gives the music a very broad, open, expansive sound. Then he resolves that ninth, that kind of overtony sort of open expanse, with major tonality. There's your major chord right there, giving it that heroism, that hint of a blockbuster melody to be revealed later. Now we know, before we even land on Krypton, that this is a place of civility and learning, technologically advanced. By the way, these same notes found in Krypton's theme are later used as Superman's fanfare. Here's Mike Mattesino quoting John Williams. Quote, Williams has spoken often of the great difficulty in creating what seems to be, after the fact, the simplest of constructions. Here's Williams talking. I had fun with a little device, a four-bar introductory gesture that the music does all the time in the film that proceeds when you hear the theme. The music is heard as early as the main title and recurs throughout for Superman's appearances, particularly his transformations from Clark Kent. It's kind of a three-bar ramp-up, and then, as he, Superman, opens his shirt, you hear the musical three-note Superman. But you always get three bars preparation, whether he's turning his back, his back's to the camera, or he's hiding. 
so that the orchestra will play that, I think I'm safe in saying, every time that happens. That just occurred to me in the process of writing this theme, that if the theme could be preceded by some key, some clue, it would cue the audience in a way that was meant, in my mind at least, to be fun. We could almost have it happen anyway, but that there could be some kind of metric in melodic and musical preparation that would deliver this sound. When we see the insignia of Superman, this would be a great way to lift the piece off and then present the Superman theme. End quote. Using the same Krypton notes, Williams creates his three-bar tension to introduce Superman. First with the fifths and the octaves, a la Krypton, And then, with the major tonality, and for an extra bit of fun, perhaps even a little wink to the audience, the dotted rhythm, bump ba bum helps these notes sound like the orchestra is singing the arrival of our hero by name. Superman! The Soundtrack Show will continue in a moment. We return now to The Soundtrack Show. When somebody that has the command musically that he has gets with a hundred-piece orchestra and starts to go, it's just so thrilling. I mean, when you have a great score for a movie, it just brings everything to life. The day we went into a recording studio and we ran the opening credits, and as Superman came on the screen, I swear to God, if you listen carefully, it literally, the music speaks the word. I screwed up his take because I just ran out on the floor yelling. Genius, genius, fantastic. You know, the, the orchestra applauded him and everything. But it was, I, if you listen, you can actually hear the music say the word. The hero theme, which is Superman himself, which is made up of several parts, is kind of a fanfare. Each time he opens his, his shirt, you get this sort of three-note Superman musical motif that precedes the exposure of his shirt. So that if he's going through a revolving door, the music, whatever the six or eight seconds preceded that, it, we established a kind of modus operandi that each time he revealed the shirt, there was this musical balletic preparation. John Williams is a master. As he's proved it time and again and again with big scores and small scores and epic scores and, 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 and delicate little piano scores. Fantastic. I tried to have the music constructed in such a way that it would be heroic and big and operatic but not take itself seriously. Even the main theme of the march says Superman over and over again. Superman, it's Superman. You get the idea. There are a couple of other things to consider before breaking down the rest of the main title and its treatment. As I mentioned before, the movie has three distinctive parts. We've talked about the first part, which is that science fiction, Shakespearean serious tone of Krypton. The second part is very much the American heartland, growing up on a farm, the son of farmers Jonathan and Martha Kent in Smallville, Kansas. And while we won't cover much of the actual music in Smallville in this episode, it's important to note that this influence does make its way into Superman's main themes. Just for some context, in the 20th century, 
the composer considered to truly capture the sound of the American prairie and the pioneering spirit of America was named Aaron Copland. His harmonic language, his use of bitonality or multitonality, and his sense of nostalgia created a sound that film composers have been drawing on for decades. Williams is no exception. Let me play you a little bit of Copland's piece, Appalachian Spring, so we can get this sound in our ear. beautiful. Now let's hear a bit of his suite called The Tenderland. This kind of music is film score gold and is a creation of Aaron Copland's. It captures nostalgia, Americana. It lends itself perfectly to an American icon like Superman, and not just in Smallville, though we certainly hear it there a lot. Williams actually imbues Superman's heroic themes with Copland's harmonic language, masterfully blending the pillars of science and Zarathustra, the big open fifths with a much more approachable sound. I'll give you an example. Instead of this, Williams uses bitonality to create a sense of tension, an almost familiar longing in the melody, by putting a note in the bass that suggests a polychord like this. Here's a quote from Mike Mattesino. Quote, Harmonically, Williams unified the score by relying on a bitonal yet consonant chord found most prominently in the Americana music of Aaron Copland. It is created by playing a major chord over a bass that is a fifth below the tonic. For example, a C major chord with an F in the bass, which is exactly what I just played. When rearranged with voice leading, this becomes the two chords that play the Superman exclamation. This harmonic construction permeates the heroic aspects of the score and lends an unshakable sense of Americana to Superman's character. Furthermore, Williams relies on sophisticated harmonies, most notably in the main theme, which we'll get to in a bit, 
that could be analyzed as jazz chords, pandiatonicism, or color tones, seconds, sixths, and sevenths, depending on the frame of analysis. The added notes give the melody a sophistication and modern edge while still remaining completely accessible. And there are examples of William's remarkable skill in drawing upon not only 19th century symphonic literature, but 20th century American songwriting, Broadway, and jazz traditions. End quote. So let's talk about the main march, because this is actually really important here. He's talking about Superman's march, especially when he talks about um, those seconds and ninths and, and sevenths and things like that. Um, Superman's March is a different melody. It's not da 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 dum bum bum bum. He's actually talking about bum ba dum bum 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 bum. Here, let me just play it. But it's not that bit. It's he's really talking about the payoff of that. He's talking about the emotion behind it here. And then finally resolving it here. Now that's a melody. This sound can be called polytonal, bitonal. It could be called Lydian. As this leading tone is a tritone away from the note in the bass. Again, that beautiful tension. It can be called all kinds of things. It should actually sound familiar to us as I use this same technique to provide longing and nostalgia in the theme that I wrote for the soundtrack show. But I digress. What we have here is a perfect synthesis of heroic pillars and American longing. I wanted to point this out because, of course, there are obvious comparisons to the Star Wars main title just a year and a half earlier that we could make. The London Symphony Orchestra, their wonderful brass sound featuring trumpeter Maurice Murphy, the opening fifths and octaves, the triumphant high note that we arrive on, even the B section. But the reason I approached the main title slowly this way was to point out just how important the differences are between something like the Star Wars main title and Superman. These differences are why Superman is so unique and so special. So we've established that Williams is pulling out every harmonic trick in the book, 19th and 20th century sensibilities. But even beyond harmony, there's something even more important to consider. Something that drives this melody in an incredibly satisfying way. I mentioned it just a little bit before. It's that dotted triplet rhythm, I guess 12-8 rhythm of the piece. Superman the movie, just for a little context, was a huge gamble by producers Alexander and Ilya Salkind. And the hand that they were planning to play was convincing movie audiences that Superman could fly. After years of seeing the old TV show and movie reels that looked kind of cheesy, the Salkinds focused all their marketing around the slogan, You'll believe a man can fly. Look at what we can do with technology today. You've never seen Superman like this, etc. Heck, before they shot a frame of keepable footage, the Salkinds burned through a million dollars of budget in pre-production just on unsuccessful flying tests. The illusion of Superman flying required camera tricks, cutting-edge special effects, an actor who could pull it off, a crew that could light and shoot it properly... And most importantly for us, music that moves. Bump 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 bump. Double that. Bump 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 bump. Okay, those are sixteenth notes. Now you just use some of those sixteenth notes along with the eighth notes to create a bit of a dotted gallop, 
add a rest in there, and you have an incredibly memorable rhythmic ostinato. Dun, 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 or pattern. So it goes like this. And you unveil it slowly at first, like this. Something's coming from a distance. It's out there. Did you see it? No? Probably because it's faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, able to soar higher than any plane, faster than a streak of lightning, more powerful than the pounding surf, mightier than a roaring hurricane, this amazing stranger from the planet Krypton, the man of steel. And now listen to this B section, still keeping rhythm alive, but this is more legato, more nostalgic, more heart than just a musical fanfare for a man of steel. Now listen to the French horns take it. They have it now. The melody cries with major seventh chords underneath. Again, that Copeland-esque American heart before another crescendo. Amazing feat after amazing feat. And as if all this wasn't Superman enough for you, let's just give you that Krypton theme one more time. What separates this from, say, the music of the old 40s cartoon or the early silver screen serials is that tremendous heart. Williams is using his 20th century influence, as he would later on in Empire Strikes Back and E.T., even his jazz chops, to modernize a very simple melody, and he sets it on top of a rhythm that flies. This is what makes the music to Superman so special, so memorable. Somehow we know that the Man of Steel, a seemingly unstoppable alien with greater power than anyone on Earth, has our backs. He's not threatening. He inexplicably makes us feel safer. Thanks in no small part to the music. I want to close with a last quote from Michael Mattesino, as I think he wrote one of the most beautiful descriptions of John Williams that I've ever read. And this is for the Film Score Monthly Superman box set. Quote, The single most remarkable aspect of John Williams' blockbuster film scores is the way in which they maintain the highest possible degree of musical integrity, considering the filmic limitations and scheduling demands, while speaking moment to moment to the broadest possible audience. This rare ability to speak with equal sincerity to the most and least sophisticated of minds at the same time and guide them through a story with an emphasis on the underlying humanity is found only in the greatest of artists. 
It is no wonder that Williams is beloved by his fan base and widely recognized as the master of his profession. End quote. Well said, Mike. On the next episode, we'll take a listen to the love theme from Superman and the behind-the-scenes story of how it was developed and not developed as a song called Can You Read My Mind? We'll listen to some other amazing themes from Superman, like the March of the Villains, the theme for The Crystal, and more music from Smallville. We'll also take a look at great musical moments from the film itself. Until then, like Superman, I'll just say bye now and thank you. The Soundtrack Show is an iHeartRadio podcast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.